Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 10, and today me and Liana are back to continue with our First Law read-along. Today we're talking about Before They Are Hanged by Joe Abercrombie. So yeah, book two, and we'll do some like less spoilery and more spoilery sections, I guess, as we did last time for... I think that worked a lot last time where we talk about the book totally non-spoiler and then spoilery for the book only and then spoilery for the book in the context of the trilogy. Yes, I think we can do that again. So how many times have you read this book? (laughs) Luckily, I know the answer to this because I just finished filming a video talking about all of the times I've read all of these books. Uh, This was my fourth time. Fourth time. Okay. And this was my second time. I have to say, so it's interesting because... I know in the last episode that we did for this, I talked about how much more I enjoyed book one on a reread. That was not the case with book two. I felt about the same (laughs) as I did the first time I read it. It's funny because in my spoilers for my new ranking for First Law, Mm -hmm. um, this is my favorite of the original trilogy now. Interesting. I'm curious to see how book three goes because my first read, book three, was definitely my favorite. Same. So far on a reread, book one has bumped up and book two, I, I feel about the same. There are, and, and you know, we can get into it, but I I think there are parts of this book that I love and then there are parts of this book that I just find uninteresting. <laughs> well, obviously I find all of it interesting, but yeah. the reason that, because I miss kind of what I talked about in the video that I just filmed, just sort of how books that are great the first time and also great the second time or great the first time and not so great the second time or not so great the first time but great the second time so there's like kind of a big variety and Abercrombie has like one of each so um I feel like and now having read the trilogy so many times I already thought that the first two are better on reread than they were before and I'm coming to the now they're better on reread even than the third one and then between the two of the first and second, before they were hanged, I like like slightly better for rereading it all the time because the first one is still a lot of introducing stuff. Mm-hmm. And like when you're on your fifth time, you're like, okay, I know who these people are. <laughs> so like, That's and fair. the third one, which without spoilers, is the one where you get answers. And like getting answers to these like burning questions the first time is like, wow. But then like the third or fourth time through, you're like, I mean, okay, but I know the answers. So like yay answers <laughs> the second one you're not spending a lot of time introducing stuff and you're not just like a bunch of answers that i already know it's all just like playing the games and looking for the clues and all of the foreshadowing and all of the stuff in the world that i can unpack and look for things yeah i think i don't i do wonder if if i had read it more times i would like book two better because i do think read it twice more bethany come on catch up <laughs> I haven't even read all the first books first. Like, like, I, like pull, get on my pull. level. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, no, but I, I mean, I can see what you're saying because I think if you get to the point where you know it well enough that you can pick out all of those things, but I don't think I've read it enough times that I'm familiar enough. Like, I'm familiar enough with the ending that I feel like book one was fun because I could pick out so many things and I didn't so much, there were some, but like I didn't as much feel that way about book two. And there's just a lot of like traveling and fighting, which it, it is a road trip book. <laughs> you know what? That's probably my issue. I tend not to like road trip books, like with rare exceptions. So that would explain a lot. And one of my favorite side characters is basically not in the book. Artie. Artie. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if there is, if I, if there's a flaw in this book, then it is, you know, that you don't see much of Artie. Yeah. Agreed. And there's a lot less, um, we kind of talked about how, when we were talking about how amazing it is, and I think I talked about this with Heather a bit, how in the first book, you've barely, in terms of page count, you've barely come to learn who these characters are. But he fleshes them out so quickly for you, and you come to think of them as human beings so quickly that by the time they're all meeting in the end of the first one, it's like the Avengers assembling, and you're like, (laughs) they're meeting! And it's like already (laughs) wow at the end of the first book. But like they've now all gone their separate ways again in Before They're Hanged, so there's not much like what convergence there was is like maintained now on part of the road trip but there isn't a lot of like crossing of paths anymore yeah I mean I I think that is definitely true I also think I I like the idea 
and I'm not going to say too much about this until we get into spoilers, but I like the idea behind what he's doing with book two. But at least for me, there's parts of it that are more interesting conceptually than interesting to read. I know. I, know I think you told me, but I forget now which because you know there's different plot lines and different POVs. So like, yeah, which one was it that you liked the best in this? Oh, one? definitely Glockus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was dangerous there for a second, but no, you saved no, yourself. yeah, no. Uh, Glockus plot is always interesting, and I like the which the I would actually I mean. I kind of talked about this with you. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if we talked about it on the pododcast, but um about how much Glockus. Uh, plotline in this book is very very reminiscent of Tyrion's plotline in Clash of Kings in the Song of Ice and Fire series mm-hmm. so it would be very interesting if and when you someday read the rest of the Song of Ice and Fire because I think you did read Clash but like it's been so long. I did but it's been a long time. So like if you picked it up again because that was me I mean I had read all of the Song of Ice and Fire before but now rereading it I, I'm obviously a lot more familiar with First Law than with um, Song of Ice and Fire. So when I'm reading Tyrion's plotline, I'm going, this is Glockta, instead of, which is actually the case that Gl- Tyrion came first. Right, right. And really, it's Glockta that's like Tyrion. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be fun. I It's it's one of those things, I know they're really long books, but at some point I would like to return to them because I also think I, I enjoyed them, but I stopped reading because I was uncomfortable with some of the you know the more salacious parts of it but also i have gotten much more comfortable with reading that kind of thing i was thing. gonna say like they, i guess i mean it depends on like who the reader is because yeah. like i yes there is like dark content and salacious mm-hmm. content but then if that person has read first law i'm like well song of ice and fire ain't got nothing on first law so yeah it's not no nearly I- as- well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like I would probably be fine with them now, but this was, you know, many years ago when I was still kind of well, somewhat I mean, in the depths of conservatism. And I, I was gonna say this podcast is about first law, but to like a brief mm-hmm. aside about a song of ice and fire, I feel yeah. like there's been that quote unquote. I'm using air quotes for those mm-hmm. listening. Uh, controversy or recurring discussion of like, is a song of ice and fire even grimdark? And people saying it's not grimdark, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Just because, like, that's like saying old, old horror movies, like Nosferatu or something. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a horror movie because nowadays our standards have changed and it's not scary anymore. But, like, it is still a horror movie. Yeah. So, like, A Song of Ice and Fire was not the first, but among the first to do Grimdark. And have, you know, has have we upped the ante? Have authors come along and been like, I can do it harder. I can do it bloodier. I can do it darker. Yes. But does that mean that A Song of Ice and Fire is not Grimdark? Mm-hmm. no <laughs> yeah yeah no i i agree i don't think well and i think when i picked it up i was used to fantasy with a lot more magic to it and i wasn't necessarily expecting what it was but i like all the political stuff i really do i need to go back i was to, to circle them. then back to first law <laughs> see while you picked up a song of ice and fire and we're like oh no oh my where's the magic this is awful <laughs> joe abercrombie picked up a song of ice and fire was like you're telling me fantasy doesn't have to have magic and can be extremely dark and political well i best get to writing (laughs) yep yep yeah it's uh it's which it's it it makes sense too why like first law so i do wish there was more magic in it i get why there's not but i do like every time we get a hint of it i'm like the new trilogy takes place in an industrial revolution and so you would think has even less magic Mm -hmm. there arguably more magic in the age of madness trilogy that's interesting yeah it is for sure a lower magic magic yeah i don't want you imagining it's like suddenly turns into a brandon sanderson series because like it's still very low magic but there is um i i guess i would say because like in the original trilogy right Mm -hmm. there is basically a magic user who appears throughout and so if and when that person uses magic then there's magic right um and so there is a magic user in the new trilogy but that person is a pov character and ah. is much more frequently dipping into those waters okay so you would see a little bit more of it that's interesting i'm excited to get on to more things instead of rereading actually read something new yeah it'll be nice but it <laughs> Me is too. <laughs> <laughs> but hey we're doing this for all the people listening we've got to like get through this and, then... and you'll miss glockta oh i will i love glockta i love glockta um okay so do we 
do you have anything else non-spoilery that you want to talk about? I mean, we haven't really talked about anything. <laughs> it's I mean, a very general thing. Well, that's because I feel like it's hard to not talk spoilers for the book. I mean, I would say you can still, I mean, the fact that the you have a quest and you see the character dynamics and how mm -hmm. how they are coming together or not coming together, because it's yeah. kind of staggering how many of the POVs are all in the same place. Like, usually you have different POVs to have eyes on different parts of your world, but there's such a cluster of POVs yeah. for, like, one part of it where, like, they... And which is also interesting because a lot of the time you have to take your POV's word for what's going on in a certain area mm -hmm. or you have to take their, if not necessarily their word for it, but, like, they've only seen one piece of it. They've seen their piece of it. So that we have such a cluster of perspectives on the quest that you get a very thorough impression <laughs> from all sides of exactly how this is going and exactly what's happening and who's responsible for what. And yeah. 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 I think that I, which it's interesting because like that, the cluster is in the plot line that I'm least interested in. <laughs> I think that, well, that also is the part that like, because, you know, I talked about how it is in rereading it that this has become my favorite. It's not the first time through or even the second time through. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's that kind of stuff that is more interesting to come back to as opposed mm -hmm. to a first time through. The first time through you read anything, you're like, what's the plot? What's happening? And then the second time through, you're like, okay, I know what happened. And so, like, let's pick apart a little bit more about, like, how that happened and what led to it and, and who is who. And then the more times you read it, like, okay, you know what's happened and how it happened. You know everything. So the part that you can, like, really kind of enjoy more is just, like, the character dynamics and watching them become who they are and the way that just watching Joe Abercrombie. I mean, the part that is that we're talking about that is the sort of quest part where you have a cluster of perspectives. That's the part that is most um, reminiscent to me of like really good theater where like the play all takes place in one room and they never go anywhere and nothing actually happens. But the whole play is like a conversation between these people and suddenly a story unfolds from that because you've watched an entire arc happen for each of these characters as they've been talking to each other. So like it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And I know what a big fan Joe Abercrombie is of theater and of Shakespeare. So like I wonder how much, well, in general, his love of character work. But like that's what it, you know, there's so little happening in terms of they are questing, oh, there's food. Oh, they've been attacked. Like there's not a right. lot. There's so much happening in terms of the character dynamics shifting and changing and growing and realizations about themselves and realizations about who the others are. I mean, and that's like true. That stuff. It's true. Well, and I do think that some of those moments are interesting. It's just kind of like blended in with this kind of repetitive quest. <laughs> Well, and again, without spoilers, that is the part of it, of the book, where you are getting the most glimpses into the part that you said you wanted more of, the magic, the lore. Yeah, yeah. Which is where you're getting interesting encounters and interesting tidbits. And it's interesting true. Bits it's true. Of information yeah. to become more interesting when you know things. I mean, it's true, but it's I, th I think it's just hard because it's like, I'll be like, ooh, interesting and boring and interesting and boring. <laughs> Like, it's like this, like, you know, like, that's the, like, uh... Well, so since we have such yeah. a cluster of perspectives, did mm -hmm. you have a favorite that you preferred to see that part of the story through? Uh, I don't think so. I think there were moments for all of them that were interesting, but I don't think overall I had a preference. I think I think each of them had their interesting moments and their less interesting moments. So the person that grows the most is obviously Giselle. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, like, I would, if I had to choose a favorite um, in that grouping to follow, it's Giselle, mm -hmm. just because watching how his internal monologue, not even so, a little bit what he says, like, you could observe it from yeah. a distance as well, but observing it from inside of his mind, how he thinks about the people that he's with, and how he thinks about himself in relation to them, mm -hmm. and how he thinks about his life, and he starts to have, like, a he already had a bit of a crisis when he realized that Ardy, he's into her because she hates him and he feels he deserves it and he's like what yeah <laughs> and then a further existential crisis on this trip when he's like i think i've wasted my life and been an asshole <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> well it's also just funny too because the and i mean i guess this is like mildly spoilery but like it's so funny to me the thing of him getting injured and just being like horrified at his disfigurement <laughs> 
Well, also, I love Logan's bedside manner at that point. Oh he's my gosh, trying yeah. to cheer him up. And yeah. he's like, I'm not helping, am I? Okay, I'll stop. No. <laughs> so there are like moments like that that are just so funny. And I like a lot of the like the inner interactions between um, like Pharaoh and Baez along the way. And like, I don't know, there's just there's a lot of like great moments scattered again back to his bedside manner he's like that would have been a naming wound up into the north they'd have called you no teeth or broke jaw and giselle's like what he's like so i'm not helping (laughs) (laughs) well i'm trying to encourage him that like yeah like now you'll have some scars women will be more into that (laughs) because it's like but when he finally sees him his face he's just like horrified oh my gosh has a little more empathy for Glockdi, I guess. I don't know if I'd go that Kinda. far. Maybe not empathy, it's but me, like... It's more that he understands Logan. Understanding Glockdi, yeah. that's a bridge too far. For yeah, Giselle. yeah. Fair enough. But yeah, you do. You see him definitely grow and change Well, just a that lot. like when Logan's... it's. I love that he asks Logan for advice because he's like, I get... And he has to justify it to himself. He's like, I mean, I guess, you know, you would ask a person who's an expert in the thing they're doing, even if they're lowly. So like he's clearly done some killing. I guess it's reasonable to ask this guy for advice on killing. Um, And then Logan's advice to him is like, you should always appear to be less than what you are, that you should always, you should never underestimate your opponent, but that you should always appear to be less. And then that's when Giselle first has the idea that like, I'd never would have thought of that as a strategy, but Mm -hmm. also too, Wait a minute. Yeah. Is that what you've been doing? Yes. It <laughs> I, yes. I, I loved that. <laughs> Logan is so interesting because he's so much more than what he seems to be. And I know we talked about that in the last episode say, which is as something well. Baez already points out. But then, like, having yeah. Baez pointed out is one thing. Having Giselle realize it is like a mm-hmm. whole nother layer. Yeah. And then Pharaoh is like, I'm do, I am here for what I want and I don't care what the rest of you are planning. <laughs> but tying back to Logan, I, one of my favorite parts, um, it's a bit much to say my favorite parts in the trilogy, but it is a favorite part of mine when they're, when Logan accidentally overshares about being the bloody nine and what that really means. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, uh, are we safe with you? Uh, we kind of don't want to be on a quest with you now. And Pharaoh immediately leaps to his defense. And she's the only one that's actually seen the bloody nine. And she's like, you were fine with it when you needed the killing done. So I don't want to hear it from any of you. <laughs> and Logan's yep. like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Spoiler warning for the book. Well, and then the two of them, like, because they end up, like, hooking up. And are so awkward when they get back. Awkward is putting it mildly. They are dysfunctional when they get back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I guess we have ventured into spoilers. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> We're at like 20 minutes almost. We just we just didn't really give a warning, but... <laughs> Spo- I mean, is that really... Is, like, Well, I guess it's a spoiler. I just... I don't know like how much it matters... Yeah. You know, it's not like it's a thing that happens, but I don't know yeah. that it's like, I don't know. People have different ideas of what a spoiler is. Mean, I say technically, is it a spoiler? Yes. But like when it comes to books and stories like this, I feel like spoilers are less of a concern than they are in, say, like a mystery thriller. Right. Well, especially something like that of characters getting together, because I just don't feel like it's substantially which again then that's just why the cluster of povs is amazing because then you know they've gotten together but then when giselle is like starting to feel kind of warmly towards logan and then he notices that they're banging next to him and he's like how am i expected to endure this this is unacceptable (laughs) he's like how does everybody else just rolling over and ignoring it once again, he's just, like, very indignant and affronted that, like, he personally mm-hmm. is being hurt by this. That, like, have they not considered that he, Giselle Dan Luther, yeah. will be affected by this? Right. How how dare they not mm-hmm. think about that? And then it, though, I think it ends on him being, like, I'm mad but mainly lonely. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, that's really what's egging him. Yeah. Like, or that's what's really bugging him. It's like, yes, he's grossed out and annoyed. But the reason that he's so upset about it is because mainly he wishes he was also getting some. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. 
that's pretty much it. And so a bonding moment when like the one thing they can all agree on is how annoying Brother Longfoot is when they like all take their turn basically like saying something to bother uh Brother Longfoot. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because he is very annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I it's like it's what this is this is what I mean when I say it's like I have mixed feelings because I'm like there are things I love and then there's like fights and riding through nothing and I'm like okay <laughs> and then I mean we're I think fully we'll say we're like fully doing spoilers at this point for the book but like their quest results in nothing yeah the most I mean it's an Abercrombie book <laughs> <laughs> Which Pharaoh sometimes was so, when you go on Pharaoh a quest, so pissed. Sometimes you when you go on a quest, you don't find the thing that you were looking for. It happens. <laughs> There's and never a this, guarantee. No, and in this case, it definitely. Did. But it's also <laughs> a great moment out. because like Pharaoh is pissed about it, and Bias is like, "You're pissed about it. You think you're pissed about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have no idea what pissed is." <laughs> <laughs> And all of them are like, do we want to be on a boat with him right now? Uh. Yeah. Yeah, which I think it's... uh, And and this is where what I mean is conceptually, I think that's an interesting idea to have them go on a quest that ends up ultimately being meaningless. So maybe the, the, the trip getting there was not always the most interesting, but the, the idea is subversive plus also i mean uh in terms of it being pointless like inter it's pointless because the thing that they were trying to get they didn't get but right there is not there's things are possible because of this quest that would not have been possible otherwise that is that is true i mean there is yeah like there's growth they meet people they do things like it's yeah so things happen but it's like the end goal does not I didn't get the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. And then we have Glockta. Glockta. My boy, my man. Mm-hmm. I love her. Who gets sent to the city to try to keep it together when it's being attacked. Slash also investigate what happened to his predecessor. Right. So he's like, great, whatever happened to him will probably happen to me. So. Yep. <laughs> so the first time that I read this... I was shocked that the girl was, like, this creepy thing. Like, did not at all see that coming. It's also Glockta who never saw it coming. And Mm -hmm. he's like, I love that he laughs about it. He's like, he had you. He had you. He was questioning you. And I let you go. (laughs) This is too good. I'm so glad this is happening. I know I'm going to die. But, like, this is too good. (laughs) (laughs) which is the funny thing about glockta is he like loki wants to die and is like kind of bummed when it doesn't happen and has to keep going and it just it just makes him such an interesting character to be in the head of well it also makes it funny anytime another character is threatening him because he's like "Uh uh-huh make my day please try (laughs) like what you don't understand is that i want to die so Mm -hmm. try again (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. So this time I remembered that there was something weird about the little girl. And like, so I think I caught more of the foreshadowing of it than I did the first time around. Because the first time I was like, what? <laughs> what? But yeah, I also love the there. way that you always know he's about to see an eater because he has those horrible dreams. Oh, I did not pick up on that. He That's always dreams about somebody eating him. Oh, that's interesting. You're right. I hadn't I hadn't connected that. Huh. Plus those dreams by themselves are always like darkly hilarious because right. his in the dream, the logic of dreams, he's always like, oh, that tickles. But like, why are you eating my leg? <laughs> <laughs> why? And also like, why do I have a functioning leg that is being eaten? <laughs> Which I guess makes the question too, what does it mean that he has those dreams then before he sees like that's interesting is that so do we ever get any explanation for that at all i mean what's usually like right before an eater is gonna like when uh what's his name comes to like literally talk to him like appears in his room so 
I mean, I guess you can chalk it up to premonition. But he also, it's also what is enables him the next morning to be like, did I have that conversation or was that part of the weird dream that I had? Mm. And it also suggests the possibility that like, it might be the case that that person wasn't actually in his room, but that it was real nevertheless, that like they were sending him a message through his dreams. So it starts uh, out yeah. with him getting his leg eaten and then he like wakes up, but it uh -huh. might be part of the dream, but he's getting actual communication about like, this is where their ships are. This is where they're coming from. You, there's somebody who you can't trust. <laughs> like here's in, and like he has that in the blade itself as well. When mm -hmm. he dreams that he's getting eaten and then someone comes to his room and gives him some vital information. He's like, what in the what how did you get in here <laughs> that is really interesting yeah i definitely had not put that together so i'll have to like pay attention i have to pay attention to that so last time you learned that anytime someone has two colored eyes mm -hmm. it's uh yourself or and mm -hmm. now every time someone has an eater dream they see an eater very interesting yeah i also that like the fact too that he is sent to this city with an impossible task of keeping it safe from attack and like he fails and yet he's wildly successful because they didn't think he could last a week and he lasts like two months and so what seems like a failure is actually like a shocking success and of course he had help which is going to set us up for book three. Well, indeed. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I just, I mean, that's why Galacta's plotline is also the, some of it is the most interesting and the most, as a, a reader who is in the modern day, that's why Glocked is the most satisfying, less as a fantasy and more as like a catharsis for the modern day, because mm -hmm. there's, we enjoyed him being aggravated at his superiors in Degasca. I'm sorry, in the Agriant. Mm -hmm. And now that he is in Degasca, the, his frustration with not his own superiors because he is right now basically like if at least nominally in charge mm -hmm. um but unearthing all of the greed and corruption that has set the city up for failure like when he asks well how much do we have put away for like food stores and he's like oh we have enough to last what is it like six weeks or six months or something like yeah. that and he's like oh okay well like at least we have that sorted um and then the guy's like well you know for the not for the peasants anyway or mm -hmm. and he's like Wait, I'm sorry. What? Well, <laughs> who do you not... have food for? And yeah. he's like, just just the rich people. Right. He's like, so what are you gonna do when everybody else is starving? And he's like, just, it doesn't matter. And he's like, um, it does matter because they are many in numbers and they will riot. <laughs> well, and I think it's interesting too because it's also clearly kind of like mirroring, uh like settler colonialism because it's like the the people indigenous to that place who are like have darker skin and like i hadn't picked up on all of the all of those elements the first time around and so it was interesting reading it and catching more of that and the fact that glockta like sees what's messed up he sees the oppression the classism the way that they've like taken away their the but access he's not exactly they a liberator or a vigilante no, <laughs> no. But, well, and that's the thing is it's, like, for him, he can use it as a tool to get what he wants by saying, hey, I'll give you access to your place of worship and, like, stuff if I mean, you help me out. I mean, it was very much sort of, like, Jerusalem vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and again, like, the, you can argue he's able to use it to his advantage use it to his advantage but also he wouldn't need to use anything to his advantage because we wouldn't be in this situation if they had not behaved this way to the locals in the first place <laughs> so like right. him using it to his advantage is really just like setting things kind of back to normal and it's not the thing that is so brilliant about it is not him coming in and saying well this is just wrong and i don't mm -hmm. care if it's impractical we must help these people he's like i mean logically speaking practically speaking the locals built the wall so i'm pretty sure they know how so yeah. i think we should hire them yep <laughs> it just makes sense yeah and he's like i don't care about your like elitism and racism we're, but then like, he also is like doing. when the local is like oh so you think you can promise me the world and you know you think that blah 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 and locked is like i don't care what you think and i have no morals what what i do know is that i have this thing that you want so i would like you to work for me and i can give you this thing does that work for you? <laughs> yep. 
pretty much yeah and he it's also interesting because we see him show mercy which which is also he shows mercy to the one person who also wasn't i mean she, i guess she was corrupt in a way but like not corrupt in the way that everyone else was what she was trying to accomplish was for the greater good like she wasn't just trying to line her own pockets she wasn't just trying to like oppress people and become like head haunt uh you know the big kahuna she was trying to make things be as beneficial to as many parties as possible with as little bloodshed as possible and she's right. like why did you come here and ruin this plan if my plan had gone through no one would die no one would be the worst for it everyone would be better off and Glock mm -hmm. is like that is absolutely 100% true also it's my job to do this so sorry yeah <laughs> yep yeah yeah but it's it's interesting you know and i guess open question of like should he show mercy or not? Well, I feel like at that point, like, should he show mercy or not isn't even the question I'm most fascinated by. It's that, mm -hmm. like, having set up this entire situation the way that Abercrombie did and that there's somebody corrupt and that Gokta unearthed who that person was and you use the locals, like, he could have done all of that and not included the element where she was trying to get this done so that no one would die, so right. that the Empire would not really lose anything of value, so that everyone would be a winner. And that by coming in here and doing his job well, he actually ended up making a lot of people dead. And that if he had just let the conspiracy play out the way that it would have played out if Glockta hadn't been so good at his job, so good at figuring out who's lying and who is corrupt, mm -hmm. if he had just let them be corrupt, everything would have been a lot better for everybody. Yeah, that's true. But could he do that? No. Well, he could. His predecessor did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you see where that got him. I was like, I think it's uh, Ida that also says, you know, your predecessor didn't have your passion for the job. <laughs> he was like, he was fine with it. He's like, oh, just give me a cut. <laughs> so, yeah, there's like, there's a lot of kind of interesting things and more setup that happens. And there is a lot of good sort of mirroring of themes because like while Glockta is, like we said, you know, looking at this, uh, you know, corrupt noble who's saying that we have enough food for ourselves and who cares if the poor people don't have food and glock is like i don't care because i care about people i care because they are great in numbers and it will absolutely affect our lives if they don't have food meanwhile you have bias explaining to people how the love of the common people is what you would need the most and you can be a king who has the love of the right. nobles but that won't get you very far if the common people don't love you so bias is spouting that while you see the exact repercussions yeah. of not caring about the common people in Degasca. And then you also see what's going on with West, where the people who probably shouldn't be in charge and are absolutely incompetent are in charge and are incompetent. And uh, things do not go well. Right. Oh, yeah, West. We haven't even talked about that. Where one of my absolute favorite parts of the book happens, <laughs> where something happens that I don't not condone uh you mean like him basically killing the commander because he was ruining everything the prince oh pr yeah the prince the prince because the prince was trying to rape a young woman right and west is like i'm not even furious i'm just gonna kill you yeah i'm done with this yeah yeah i did also think it was interesting that there was that girl that west saved who ended up with um, the dog man and he was so pissed about it, but she was like, you're just too angry for me. And the, the Northmen literally nickname West furious. They're like, yeah. furious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he I is. saved you and you're with him. And she's like, and after she tells him you're too angry for me, he's like, he starts to get a headache from rage <laughs> right after she says that. And you're like, I mean, you're proving her she, point. I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah there's there's yeah there's, and then the brilliant way that west like maneuvers around his actual commander being um under the weather and oh he's like gosh, do yes. not tell anyone and anybody that asks he's like uh do this do this do you don't need to hear from him you don't need to see him it's fine keep going we got yep. this yep <laughs> don't derail it we're doing okay mm -hmm. yep i'm curious to see how i do with book three this time around are we ready for spoilers as concerns the trilogy i think so 
Yeah. Oh, wait, before we do, I have to do, we have to do On My Radar before oh, we can do oh, okay. trilogy okay. spoilers. So we're going to do On My Radar talking about upcoming book releases, and then we will do a few minutes of some spoilers related to the entire trilogy. So if you haven't read book three yet, you can come back and listen to that part of the episode later. But first, On My Radar is where we share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance that we're excited about, um, or I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited about most likely. The books for today's episode will be released between February 22nd and March 7th, 2022. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we would appreciate if you could take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you are interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patrons, Trina and Sarah. You make the possible for us to keep doing this. So thank you. I've got four books to talk about today. One of them is coming out February 22nd. This one I've actually already read. It is The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea by Axie O. It's a Y fantasy that is um, kind of a more modern feminist take on a Korean myth that's pretty interesting. The writing is really beautiful, and I think the ending is pretty satisfying, although it does get a little bit meandering through the middle. I think a lot of people are going to like it, though. It's about a girl who um, sacrifices herself to be the sea god's bride to save her beloved brother's fiance, who was supposed to be the sacrifice. And then she ends up in this like city where she has to try to break a curse that's keeping the sea god asleep and which is creating storms that's affecting her seaside village and stuff. So anyway, there's a lot going on in it, but I really liked it. So maybe check it out. It's coming out February 22nd. Then we have a few things coming out March 1st. First up is Edgewood by Kristen Ciccarelli. This is another one I've read and really enjoyed. If you like fae stories and like fantasy romance, but want something that's a little smarter and has more... Uh, thematic depth to it, I guess you could say. That author name sounds things. familiar. What else has she written? She, yeah, she wrote The Last Namsara. I really uh, like The Last Namsara. Yeah. The, that whole series is good. The, like, I actually even liked the second two companion books in that series better than the first mm -hmm. one. They're really I never good. got to those, but I liked The Last Namsara. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this one's interesting because it's set in modern day Canada but with like Faye vibes. She's a Canadian author and it follows the girl who's a singer songwriter. But every time she performs like the forest from her childhood sort of like creeps up. So she'll see like moss and mushrooms growing through the floorboards and stuff, kind of like trying to draw her back. And then she finds out that her grandfather who raised her and has dementia has disappeared possibly into the forest behind her house. So she goes home and goes into the forest to try to rescue him from the court of the Wood King and ends up kind of pulled into some things. I won't say too much more than that because I don't want to spoil it, but it's got a romance plot it also deals a lot with like memory and like things we remember and don't and complicated family relationships and stuff and it's really beautiful really kind of lyrical so i liked that and then there's two coming out march 1st that i have not read yet but that are on my radar um v.e schwab has a new book coming out gallant this one's a gothic horror novel involving a crumbling manor that's haunted which I'm excited for. It sounds up my alley. I was gonna say I've I've heard that name so many times, and I know what the cover looks like. This is my first time learning that that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's YA, but yeah. So I'm excited to to check it out. Then we also have The Book of Living Secrets by Mel Madeline Rue. This one is a genre-bending page-turner that follows two girls who transport themselves into the world of their favorite book only to encounter the sinister alternate reality that awaits them. I'm realizing everything I have this time is YA. I didn't have anything else. I was super excited. I have one. Yes! Oh, that's exciting. Okay. <laughs> the fourth book in a series and that That's is okay. the fourth book in the sun eater series by christopher rocchio book four kingdoms of death uh was pushed back because originally coming out march 8th and now it's coming out march 22nd all right get it i love it <laughs> um okay so that is it with that said we're going to go ahead and move into some trilogy spoilers yeah well before they are hanged spoilers that relate to how the trilogy ends right do you have anything specific you wanted to talk about I feel like we, well, we almost did, and then we didn't. We stopped ourselves about Galacta getting a big old loan from the banking house of Valentin Balk. Yes. 
which is going to come back to bite him in the butt. <laughs> but also, he couldn't have done any what he did without it. I mean, it's true. It was like a necessary evil, but it is going to be an evil. Which even at the time, without any context, without knowing who the banking house of Valentin yeah. Balk is, he's just like, this is a terrible idea, but I have no other idea. And there is nothing else I can do. So yes, I will take this massive, stupidly huge loan. <laughs> yep. And owe you a favor, whatever that means. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, as they say so many times throughout Before They Are Hanged, when um, when one is lost in the desert, one must take such water as one is offered. What are you going to do? <laughs> and it's a good thing Glockta has a death wish. So he's like, sure. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting to me, too. One thing I was thinking a little bit about is with Giselle, how much he's changed and grown, and yet he's going to end up being a puppet king. A puppet king that can still, the, the main thing that's important for Giselle, as far as Bias is concerned, to be successful in his role is to have the like intuitive people sense to where like mm. when he is, because that's the part you can't control is right. when he interacts with people and the people do have to think of him as like a good king for this mm -hmm. to work. And so he's learning how to be a good king, not to functionally rule, but mm -hmm. to be a good king. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's more about appearances and how people perceive you. It's an old costume shop. He yep. did stop to get costumes for himself and Logan. And he's working right now very hard on Giselle's costume. Get him some scars. Make him a little bit more humble. Mm -hmm. Make sure he understands the plight of the common people. Right. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, you got yourself a king. Look at that. Less of a pretty boy, more of a seasoned warrior that we can trust with the fate of our people. Yes, a hero. A hero. On a quest that went nowhere. <laughs> they brought us King Giselle. Mm -hmm. And we got to meet Baez's sister, a little family reunion. Also, how creepy is that? I guess we didn't even talk about this part. That, like, it is, I mean, it is unclear. Well, okay. Okay. So I guess I, I have like two thoughts on this. Number one, the book is like less than clear whether they are biological siblings or more just like wizardy siblings. You know what I mean? Like that is unclear, but they definitely had a, a affair. <laughs> well, it, it comes across to me very kind of like biblical because mm. these are like, they are old beyond reckoning. Yeah. And that, like, the master maker and, like, great juvens and everyone, like, these are, like, the starters of the world. So, like, the idea that, like, it's very kind of, like, these were the first people. So there is no one but your sister to bang because you're the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still kind of creepy. But it also is reminiscent because we were talking about how he has taken some inspiration from Game of Thrones. It's a little reminiscent of another brother-sister couple. <laughs> Game of Thrones books. I don't know which one's more toxic. I mean, it's, it's a toss-up. But yeah, no, I think it's the way that it's written, though, like, it does feel, like, even when they talk to each other, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I think Abercrombie does well, which I complain about in a lot of other books that have supposedly ancient characters, where I'm like, okay, but they have the, like, emotions and thought processes of a 20-something. Right. Like, you just wouldn't. Um, like you wouldn't even think like a 50 year old like when you're reckoning in like centuries the way you think and the way you feel changes it just does right. it doesn't matter who you were to start with so yeah. i do feel like the way that you'll weigh and your sulfur and the way bias and the way that all of them talk to each other like i believe that they are as old that as old they say they are. <laughs> i know i agree with you well and i think that's part of what the problem with Baez is, is because he is so old and has seen so much and does have such like a big picture view of things. He doesn't value individual people anymore. Well, it's very Ozymandias from mm -hmm. Watchmen. I have not seen Watchmen. Or Red Watchmen. Or Red Watchmen. Graphic novel. Well, I have um, mm -hmm. brief spoilers for Watchmen, but like that's basically what one of them does is like, okay. It's like doomsday, but for the greater good. And because they've decided that the math of millions, this is the greater good. Right. 
So that's what Baez is doing. He's done the math mm -hmm. of millions and is like, this is the greater good. And I've decided. Yeah. And I mean, I even, I asked uh, Joe Abercrombie um, where the name, the first law came from, because like, I mean, obviously like it mentions it, like, it's not like I don't know what the first law is that's in the right. books. But like, when I think of what the series is as a whole, when I think of the universe of these books, when I think of what, you know, what they're like, and what's in them. I don't know that I come away from the series going, well, you got to call that the first law. I'm just like, that's in it. But like, is that, in what way is that like the thesis of these, of this series? And he, well, his first answer was like, well, I needed a name and I was flipping through and one of the chapters is called the first law. And I was like, hmm, that'd be a good name. But part two of that answer, the more serious answer was that he, yes, the first law is that you cannot touch anything from the other side, but that as far as he's concerned like or as far as bias is concerned that the actual first law is that might makes right mm. and that the only law is bias's law it is the first and only law mm -hmm. so therefore the first law interesting yeah <laughs> there is bias's way and there is the highway <laughs> and people will fall in line or be taken off the board or your pharaoh and you're grudgingly dragged along. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which I think is interesting, right? Because he needs her to some extent. Um, he no longer needs Logan. Right. He but only he need needs. But he needs pharaoh and she's kind of a wild card. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't have chosen her if he had other options. Right. Which is why she keeps mouthing off to him. And he's like trying to make her scared of him like everyone else is. And she's already figured out. She's like, you need me. So... What are you going to do? Yep. <laughs> He's like, ah! <laughs> Which is kind of amazing. Yep. Which, I mean, there's also, uh, just talking about, like, world building and how you make something actually seem, you know, impressive. And for, I mean, again, there's not a lot of magic and there's not a lot of that kind of stuff in it. But when it's there, part of what makes it stand out and feel so, like, earth-shattering is how rare it is. That you're not just, like, people just, like, shooting magic powers all over the place. Like, you know, it kind of loses its impact. But, and we talked now about how Baez and, and the gang, they feel old. They feel mm -hmm. ancient beyond reckoning. But there's also the little ways that, like, things are, instead of telling us, like, how, like, intense it would be to be, like, you know, a demon or whatever, they just uh, explain why they need Pharaoh and that she's got a bit of demon in her. Mm -hmm. And that, like, that's a part of the other side and that's why she can do whatever they can do. And, and Logan or... Giselle, one of them is like, so she's half demon. And he's like, <laughs> half? Oh my God, no. Like, what's his name? He was half and he like destroyed everything. No, 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 no. She's got like the teeniest, tiniest, little, like little drop, little drop. And like, mm -hmm. even with that, she can do what she can do where Logan's already impressed with how she can shoot and like mm -hmm. the thing she sees and the fact that she can yeah. hold the seed. And you're yeah. like, the teeniest, tiniest fragment of a drop has that much of an effect on her. Yeah. I I mean, you do, I think, really get a sense of the history of the world. And even though, the, like, so much of the magic is not really present anymore, but you get a lot of this lore of, like, the, these past eras where there was a lot more of it. And I do think he does a good job. But of I think it, it also, like, by the few times you do see it and the way it's talked about, it really does leave you with the impression that, like, magic is not something you want to fuck with. Like it's when it's there, you're going to wish it wasn't because yeah. it is not small. It is not something that like, oh, wouldn't it be great if that? No, no, absolutely not. Because like the once or twice that Baez breaks out some magic, even he kind of like has trouble containing it. And then like all the little things like, again, a tiny, the tiniest drop of demon in Pharaoh has this effect on her. And then like Logan like never has to sharpen his sword. And he's like, yeah, well, he was the master maker for a reason. Like, that's, like, again, the barest hint of, like, what he could do. And we've already seen the house of the maker, which makes no kind of sense. Yeah. So, like, it's these little things where you're like, yeah, no, that's awesome, magic, and I'm, I'm good. No magic, please. <laughs> Just stay away from that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, it, it'll be interesting to, to read because I, I want to say, and again, like, I've only read it once and it's been a while, but I, I want to say there's a place where magic shows up in book three that like the thing that re it reminded me of is like in so like in the marvel cinematic universe there 
that's just like first law <laughs> no but in the marvel cinematic universe like one thing that people talk about which i think is is accurate and funny is there's like these giant you know battles in the middle of new york city and tons of the property damage and like all this stuff and there's like no discussion of like insurance or like how it affects the people who own who's gonna properties. clean up all of spider right, who's gonna webs yeah that too and so i i want to say there's something in in book three where it focuses a little bit on that on like the aftermath of the destruction from magic and like oh now we have to actually deal with all of this mess um so i don't know it reminded me a little bit of how that gets glossed over well, I mean, sort of like, I think in general, that's something that Abercrombie is interested in and is interested in, is interested in and is also interested in the fact that this is a thing that is never explored and that is just consequences. Like mm -hmm. he's always interested in consequences and most stories, or I shouldn't say most, but uh, far too many want to tell you everything other than the consequences. And so like Glockta himself is an embodiment of living with consequences. And like no, like you don't get Galactus in most books, but like mm -hmm. you have you have the man of violence, you have the warrior, you might have him even be injured in battle, and he comes home and he's got you know a scar on his face, and like maybe like his, he needs you know a little bit of a cane because his leg is like a little bit rough. But like you have somebody who was handsome and good at what he did, like he was the best, mm -hmm. and he was a prisoner of war, and he came back shattered, and. And now you have to actually have to follow that character. You can't just be like, oh, people die in war and isn't that sad? And our heroes are very sad about it, about how those other people over there that are not our POV characters over there, isn't that so sad that they got shattered in war? No, no, no. We're going to follow Glockta. Mm -hmm. and we're going to watch the consequences of a life of violence and what that does to you. Logan tells us over and over again that his past is one of violence. And he tells the first thing he tells Giselle is that his like first bit of advice is like, don't don't get into a life of violence don't kill people go settle down and and don't ever do this because i don't have a life anymore because i was really good at killing and now i have nothing but enemies yeah so and then like as you say like when there is actually magic used there are consequences when yep. there is destruction there are consequences so yeah yeah yep i agree i think he does a good job all right um anything else all right. So I think that'll do it. We will be back next month to discuss the third and final volume of this trilogy before um, moving on to the rest of the first law series. So thanks for joining us. Hope you guys are reading along and enjoying the conversation. This has been Chapter 3 Podcast. We're your hosts, Bethany and Leanna. And you can follow us at Chapter 3 Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also find us on our individual YouTube channels, which is linked in the show notes or in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube. The next episode will be available in two weeks. I will be back with Izzy, and we're going to be talking about the Crescent City series by Sarah J. Mass. <laughs> Yes, roll your eyes at us, Leanna. It's fine. We enjoy it. Um, so we just did a buddy read of House of Earth and Blood. It was her first time reading it and my second time. And book two is about to come out. So we're going to read that. I would just like it to be chat. known that I got a Jeopardy question on Alan's bookish Jeopardy correct. That was Crescent City. That is impressive. Thank you. Way to go. <laughs> So we'll be back in two weeks to talk about the series, books one and two, if you want to join us. And this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.